the most affected person right now globally is that girl in the rural areas. She cannot access a TV, she cannot access a smartphone, she cannot access a radio, and those few with radios cannot buy batteries on an empty stomach. Today, young girls are now sleeping with elder men, men in their father's age groups, in order to get what to eat. I want to thank you all for joining. We're brought here today for this UN Radio conversation because we want to talk about the current global state of how COVID-19 and its crisis is impacting girls and women's sexual and reproductive health and rights around the world. Uh, the reality is that this crisis will have a huge and at some points devastating impact on the futures of millions of girls and women. So we're brought together uh, three different perspectives. Uh, Zahara, 21-year-old advocate based in Uganda, AB, the CEO of Plan International, an organization advancing children's rights and equality for girls in over 75 countries, and the executive director of UNFPA, Natalia Kanam, leading UN's UN Sexual and Reproductive Health Agency. I'm Rose Reed, host of the iHeartRadio podcast, The Women, and I'm delighted to be here to talk to you about this impact of COVID-19 on girls and women around the world, and what we should expect in 2020, and what we can really do about it. So, Zahara, can I ask you where you are and what you do and why it's important to you? Uh, my name is Zahara Navakwaza. I am 21 years old. I am a Ugandan. Right now, I am a student. I am an advocate under research development, partnering with Plan International under a project called Girls Advocacy Alliance Team. The overall purpose of the Girls Advocacy Alliance Team is to produce key public communication materials on gender-based violence and economic empowerment of girls. We also focus on ending child marriage, commercial sex exploitation, child labor, and everything in the sector to see that a girl can really become successful. I love advocacy, especially when I speak out my story and very many lives change. Thank you. Thank you. And AB, can you tell us where you are and why your work is important to you? Hi, I'm AB Albrechtson and I'm the global CEO of Plan International. And right now I am in Denmark, my home country, um, under lockdown, but working from home um, and my work gives me so much energy because we work with over 40 million girls and boys to change norms and stereotypes that hold girls back from thriving and also uh, put a huge burden on on boys um, that most of them would rather shed. Thank you. And Edie, can you tell us where you are and why your work is important to you? I'm Dr. Natalia Kanam, Executive Director of UNFPA, the United Nations Sexual and Reproductive Health Agency. And I'm speaking with you from Brooklyn, New York, but representing the 150 plus locations where UNFPA works around the world. Why this is important to me is our work represents our belief, our conviction in full gender equality, that's sustainable development goal number five, and also that the universal in universal health coverage has to be part of SDG number three on health. Very happy to be here with my leader, Zahara, who was executive director <laughs> for a day 
a few years back. <laughs> so let me start with you, um, Zahara. You're a 21-year-old in Uganda. Um, around the world, COVID has disrupted education and healthcare and almost every aspect of daily life. And more than 85% of the student population of the world has been sent home. How have you seen lockdown from your perspective where you live? The most affected person right now globally is that girl in the rural areas. Today in my country, Uganda, the government is providing online education. But when we see this girl in rural center, she cannot access a TV, she cannot access a smartphone, she cannot access a radio, and those few with radios cannot buy batteries on an empty stomach. To make matters worse, most parents in Africa are not educated. They don't know how to read. They don't know how to write. Therefore, they cannot support their children at home. Instead, they're taking them to the garden to dig because that's what they know. And this is a plantation season in Africa. Today, we are reporting a lot of teenage pregnancy, a lot of prostitution. Today, young girls are now sleeping with elder men, men in their father's age groups, in order to get what to eat. This, this is really so sad because at the end of this, we are going to see a lot of STIs coming up. Many children are suffering. Another thing is that children are now really, really abused. Their rights are really, really abused. At least those days when school was open, they could go to school and come back. But now these children, they do everything at home. They are overworked. They just stay home, just stuck in one place. Every day I see girls and boys near each other because that's the only thing they can do. And at the end of this, we are going to see a lot of teenage pregnancy because they stay together from morning to sunset and sometimes still late. Because right now we cannot participate in social networks like uh, community dialogues sports and games. We cannot even go to church, but now the only thing we can do is staying home. In Northern Uganda, where I come from, a woman called Adong was cut by her husband into pieces. Because of arguments of food, she was killed. This is not the only story, and I believe this is not only affecting Uganda, my country, but this is affecting everyone globally. Men are now too rude. Women have nowhere to run because we are in the lockdown. The only thing is they are stuck with these abusive men who are beating them, who are torturing them. To make matters worse right now, parents are sending off their children into marriage just to get money. Of recent, I was talking to one of my friends. She told me that her closest friend was sent into a contract marriage because they are eight and the mother cannot afford buying for them food every day. And their dad had to run away because he can't manage anymore. This girl is really suffering. What's really coming up next? She doesn't know anything about sexual health. She doesn't know what's really coming up. Is she really going back to school? People are no longer accessing health centers, especially pregnant mothers. They have to walk long distances because transports were restricted. So now they have to walk for long, long distances to reach the hospitals. Some of them are reaching there and nothing is even done because there is no medicine in the hospital and many of them are ending up losing their lives. Thank you. Executive Director uh, of UNFPA, 
Natalia, as you are leading UN Sexual and Reproductive Health Agency, you're also Undersecretary General. And we are seeing how COVID-19 is fueling and shaping huge political and economic changes. There's also concern that conservative governments are going to seek to curtail hard-won sexual and reproductive health rights. For example, and we see this in the U.S., where I'm based, limiting access to safe abortion, which is legal. As you're seeing the scale of problem demands across the world and really requiring concrete actions from governments, what are some of the most pressing conversations that you are having? I kind of imagine you maybe late at night, you know, really working diligently with your staff and with, you know, members of other nation states across 150 countries. Um, what are some of those conversations looking like and how, how are you managing that? What UNFPA is seeing is that the coronavirus pandemic is not a great equalizer. What it is, it's a great revealer. It's revealing inequality that was there all along. And this is why we say the added burden of gender-based violence during the pandemic is a pandemic within a pandemic that was already prevalent. The uh, fact is we also see a world that will have many more unintended pregnancies, many more child brides, the survivors of intimate partner domestic violence, sexual abuse, in which I always include female genital mutilation, are going to need to be part of that recovery, resilience, build back better phase. So what I also see, and what is hugely encouraging in my dialogues with member states, with my colleagues across the United Nations, including the World Health Organization, insisting that sexual and reproductive health services are of course part and parcel of essential services. This is a matter of debate today. And AB can tell you because um, she's been uh, in many, many of these international dialogues over the years. It is the courage of people to speak out and speak up and demand that women and girls have their full equal rights that makes a difference. So I do take encouragement from young people. And Zahara, thank you for putting everything on the table here. We shouldn't underestimate young people. We can see that they're really smart. They're really much more in tune with the sustainable development goals, perhaps than older people in, in my age group. But we have to equip them to use their power for change, for peace and for the ability to express themselves as to what it is that they think is going to make a difference. Uh, yesterday, I was uh, in a meeting with a young man uh, from Ghana, and JP said, we need to challenge as young men who get shamed when a girl is molested. The shame does not belong to her. I also believe that young people have been very organized in terms of using any means of communication at their disposal to put out correct information. We've depended on our youth networks and on Plan International's networks because we work in close partnership to assure that a young person with good information can contradict 
some of the wrong information, the fear-mongering, the perpetuation of stereotypes that actually can be a matter of life and death. Thank you for that. Zahara, I'm wondering on the ground in Uganda, do you have a personal anecdote um, for seeing girl, a girl or a woman in your community really step up um, and in a leadership position? Yes, I have seen a girl. She came up on social media and shared her story. This is in Uganda. She's only 14. And this young girl, she was forced by her parent, by her mother, to sleep with an elder man. The reason is because this man could give the mom money and some eats. This is really so bitter. At this time, this girl is five months pregnant. To make matters worse, she doesn't know the owner of the pregnancy because the mother did not only end at this elder man. She insisted and brought in another young boy who also slept with this young girl. So this girl does not know the real parent of the child she's carrying. This girl stepped out to speak out because she knows that when she speaks out, very many people's lives are going to change. I personally, I believe in speaking out as the main leadership position in the world. Once you stand up to speak out, you change very many people's lives. I personally, I love speaking my personal story because I know what it feels like. And when you share it, I know what really would come out. Very many young girls there cannot speak up, cannot say anything because first of all, they have no platform and others because they feel shamed. This is a story which is bitter. I personally am a victim of sexual harassment. I know how it feels like to come out in public and start saying I was forced by a man. This girl is exposed to very many things like STIs. She's now a mother. She doesn't know whether she's even going to go back to school because now she has to take care of the baby. This is the biggest leadership position that a young girl can have speaking out telling the world her story, telling the world how she feels like. A.B., one of the things that we are seeing is communities responding um, in different ways to crisis. Plan International has demonstrated how adolescent girls and young women have to be at the heart of new policies. As E.D. was saying that the pandemic is in a way a great revealer. Can you give us one anecdote of how you've seen COVID-19 reveal or distill something for you that you maybe weren't able to really articulate before the crisis? For me personally, the the two big reveals and and maybe not so much because I didn't know of it, but it hadn't come into sort of full force for me. One is how much schooling and going to school um, is not just a place to be educated, but it is a safe space. It is a protective haven for millions and millions of children. And it's, it's not only an escape from the drudgery of, of chores at home, but it is, is a true escape 
from abuse and violence and also the abuse that simply comes with being the the girl child um the belittlement the 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 one at the lowest end of the totem pole now sometimes that is perpetuated in school but what girls are telling us that they feel that the school environment is an equalizing but it is a protective equalizing space which of course means that anything we can do to ensure that girls uh, stay in school and come back to school despite pregnancy motherhood anything that has happened during this time um, that's that's one and then of course the other one is is that the the revealed second uh, pandemic of violence against uh, girls and women. It, it, we, we have named it as a global pandemic before. We have named it as, you know, humanity's biggest human rights abuse, the most profound abuse that is happening across the world in every part of the world. But more than ever before, I think we are seeing headlines day by day in certainly the media I look at that, that is highlighting that violence um, against girls and women is something that as soon as you close the doors, as soon as you go into what should be your safe home, that becomes an incredibly unsafe place. Edie, the coronavirus is posing a particular challenge for access to sexual and reproductive health, from supply chain challenges to loss of access to health care. And we may see these repercussions long after the pandemic is gone. The preparation for what is going to happen next year when we know economies are highly likely to contract give no comfort in terms of even developed countries having to face an uphill uh, economic climb. All of this is still on the path to the year 2030. We do not divert our attention from those 17 sustainable development goals, which say, and poverty and hunger, give people health and safety and dignity. Zahara's comments have underscored anything that I would need to say about women and girls' needs going unmet. So the whole advocacy of UNFPA and under the leadership of this Secretary General, the whole UN, I dare say, is to assert peace, calling for a ceasefire, which we do need so that these border issues and the transport issues and, uh, in conflict zones can be resolved, that the ceasefire should also be in our homes and in our hearts. For every six months of these lockdown curfew conditions, we can expect 31 million additional cases of sexual and gender-based violence than what was already prevalent before, which was one in three to begin with. Moreover, we have to prepare our services to receive and intelligently care for people who have been traumatized. The trauma of sexual and gender-based violence is not just for today. And people can recover, but we have to help them and we owe that to them. Moreover, uh, and Zahara alluded to this as well, we're predicting two uh, million extra cases of female genital mutilation, 13 million additional child marriages, over the next decade on the path to 2030 that we would not have had. Seven million unintended pregnancies 
for each uh, six-month period of lockdown. You know, this is crisis proportions. This is an emergency. And if there's one thing that we've seen in this pandemic is that a pandemic can galvanize countries, international opinion, local communities to work together. Zahara and, and AB, I'm going to ask for your final takeaways. And Zahara, let me start with you. Is there a specific message that you have for global leaders and NGOs that you think is the most important thing that we keep at the forefront of our minds and at the table when we sit down and discuss the impact and the challenges facing girls around the world? Let me say what's affecting us right now is sexual abuse. Everything now we are doing, everything that girls are doing is all surrounded by sexual abuse. If there is any way that we can come out of this is the only way we can be hoped. Most girls now have lost hope. What's really going to happen after the lockdown? Children will not go back to school simply because they are mothers. Even the par- even those who will not be mothers, they have the finances of their parents have gone down. The parents will not be in position to send them back to school. And the only way forward when it comes to Africa for a girl child, go to marriage. Some of us, you are dreaming to become doctors. I personally, right now, Dr. Nataria is my role model. How will I become her when I've been sent into marriage? So I think the most thing that NGOs should look at right now is how to beat this. AB, as CEO of Plan International, um, you've really worked side by side uh, to include young advocates like Sahara at the table. Just as we're seeing some uh, devastation across the world, we're also seeing incredible moments of opportunity. What is something that is making you extremely hopeful when you think about the future and these new spaces and these new leaders? When you hear about the financial projections and the socioeconomic impact, and when you've worked 30 years in development like I, and see the potential for rollback of success, and you know, you you sometimes lose hope. But but listening to Sahara, making sure that we listen to the girls that are out there fighting the good fight, that has to be at the center. And and maybe the other thing that I would say, you know, my own colleagues, our donors actually give me hope because we have pivoted in the matter of two, three months to address new challenges that we had never, ever anticipated. When a large old organization over 80 years old, like Plan International, can pivot its programs and be relevant in the face of something we've never seen before. That does give me hope. And it also gives me hope for governments that are entrenched and other organizations that might be a bit entrenched. Well, I want to thank all three of you. Zahara, based in Uganda, for coming in. AB of Plan International, Executive Director Natalia Kanam, and leading UNFPA. I want to thank you for your time, for your fortitude. And for those listening, thank you for joining us. 
I'm Rose Reed, the host of iHeartRadio's podcast, The Women. Please take a minute to visit unfpa.org and plan-international.org, where you can find out more about these organizations, COVID-19 responses, and where you can donate or learn how you can help these COVID-19 responses for women and girls around the world. Thank you and take care. 